What is up, you guys? This is Jared, and you are listening to the Back Road Exploration Podcast, and I've got my brother Mike here with me. Mike, say hello. Hello. So I want to give you a little bit of an intro kind of into who we are. Um, If you haven't already checked out our YouTube channel, it is Back Road Exploration, and Mike and I have been exploring Utah in in my Jeep and his 4Runner. We do a lot of camping, overlanding, just trying to explore desert roads, and... I love podcasts. Mike loves podcasts. We want to be able to share more in-depth look into some of our trips and different things like that. And so we thought it would be cool to jump in and create a podcast where we can just go into more detail about specific subjects and then also maybe share more insights into some of our trips that's so hard in any type of a video that we're doing to share a lot of the deep details just because you try to keep it within you know 20 minutes or so. And so I thought this would be a good format for us to go into a little bit more depth and um, hopefully be able to bring on in future episodes, bring on some experts in certain subjects and things like that and get to know them and let them kind of teach us and educate us about overlanding, off-roading, um, whatever you want to call it. Anyways, so I want you guys to get to know us a little bit, and so I'm going to let Mike talk about himself first. Thanks, Jared. Uh, what do you want to hear about me? I am Jared's brother. My name is Mike. I have four kids. They've all been on trips with me at least once and been in my videos, our videos, but not very often. I'm hoping to get them out more, um, but sometimes it's just hard to get them out there. I'm a programmer by trade. I love computers and doing things on them, but sometimes it's really nice to get out and get into nature. And obviously with a job like programming, I don't get out much, especially since I actually work from home. And I really like that. However, that means I can go several days without leaving the house. And so going on our trips is a really awesome break for me. When we do go on our trips, I drive a uh, 2016 Toyota 4Runner. I love it. It's been a great vehicle for me. And it's taken me everywhere I've wanted to go so far. For Mike and I, growing up, we grew up in like a small mountain community, and we had a lot of trails around us and stuff like that, so we spent a lot of time, uh, a lot of our time during the day just out in the mountains, whether it was building forts or riding our four-wheelers and different things like that, and so we've both kind of had a lot of experience in the power sports world, and just as we've gotten older and as we have kids, kind of off-roading and overlanding has really um, been able to be a good way to kind of take that love for the outdoors and being outside and being in a vehicle or riding a vehicle um, and share it with our families. So it's a perfect way for us to be able to take our um, our families, go out into the wilderness, do a lot of exploring. Um, I have a 2012 Jeep Wrangler, um, and so that's my primary exploration vehicle. By day, I work in marketing, and I really enjoy that, but what I really love the most is creating content like this where I'm sharing my experiences and adventures in a way that hopefully inspires others, and I've found that as I've been making these videos for the YouTube channel, it just makes me want to go more frequently, so it kind of pushes me to do that, and I'm hoping that the podcast will be able to do that as well, where we can talk about you know things that we want to do, things that we're doing to our rigs, maybe camping gear and kit, things like that that are just um, kind of, I don't know, just fuels that passion a little bit more. So if you haven't already, you probably should go and check out our YouTube channel. Um, and that's going to give you a good basis of a lot of the things that we're going to talk about, 
um, moving forward. One of the things I think would be really good is to go into way more depth about some of the trips that we do and kind of share some of our personal experiences and interactions um, in a way that I just can't cover in the video. Mike and I just got back from a really cool trip with a group called Expedition Utah. So Expedition Utah is similar to like Expedition Portal. It's a website for um, overland type exploration, but specific to Utah. So there's a lot of people who live in the area who are experts on certain things and everyone's jumping in there and sharing their trip reports and adventures and things like that. And it's um, been a good way for Mike and I to meet some people. So we had gone on a trip in January um, led by a guy who's an expert on the San Rafael Swell area in Utah, and he um, gave us a really cool tour and took us to, through some places we've actually been, but showed us a bunch of stuff that we've never seen before, which was really cool. As a part of that trip, we were inspired and asked kind of by some of the people along it to take them along a trip that Mike and I have done in the past where we go from Goblin Valley to Cathedral Valley. And as a part of that, um, I... <clears throat> As a part of this trip with these, <clears throat> as a part of this trip with our friends from Expedition Utah, they asked us if we would lead a group through a trip that Mike and I had done in the past from Goblin Valley to Cathedral Valley. And so we arranged to set it up and got a few people to come along for the adventure with us. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, just our experiences, what we enjoyed most about it, and maybe some of the things that we would do a little bit differently the next time we run a group trip. So, so I'll, go ahead. I was just going to say, how do you think doing a group trip would it went? You know, this was our first time doing a group trip. We usually just drive the two of us. And it was, for me, it was really, it was fun. But it was, it made, it made the camera work a little more difficult. Because usually we have a pretty good system where we kind of swap back and forth. And record each other all the time. Or... Or if we want to throw up the camera, we can just throw it down, and then both of us can drive by. Whereas we had a group of, I think, what did we have, nine rigs maybe? Yeah. So with all those rigs, if you're going to make everyone drive by every time, it's going to take all day. <laughs> and the, right. other thing, the other thing we had was everyone was not super tightly spaced. We couldn't control the spacing. You know, when we're going past, we kind of can control our own spacing but with everyone else, we couldn't do it. And to be perfectly honest, if you're doing a long shot, you don't necessarily want to see six cars drive by every single shot in the video. That gets long and, and kind of old fast, I think, if you do too much of that. So it was really interesting, at least for me, to figure out how to do the recording and and show people around and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Admittedly, I, I've been hesitant to do this. For a couple of reasons. One, you know, we get people who are commenting on videos all the time saying, like, hey, we'd love to come out and join you on a trip. And and I kind of am always like, but do you really want to join us on a trip? <laughs> like, uh, we're bringing our kids. Sometimes that can be, um, sometimes other kids, other people's kids can be annoying. <laughs> I, I know that that happens to me. And so uh, I, I always worry a little bit about that. The pace that we're going is different when we're recording, we're stopping more frequently. Um, we're setting up different shots. And so sometimes it's like, Hey, I see this really cool spot. Let's set up the camera back up and then go and do it. And, and I, I wanted to try to balance well, taking a group of people, showing them something really cool and beautiful and also making a great, you know, video report of it, but without really 
ruining either of those two things. So I've been really hesitant to want to lead a group and record it at the same time because of that. And so I think it went pretty well. Uh, We tried to, I guess I do feel better. I don't feel like the videoing actually slowed us down at all. So I think that was good. Part of that was because the pace we were taking was really slow, probably slower than I would have liked it would have been. And I think some of the people who came with us would definitely agree to that, that it was probably slower than they would have liked it to have been. But it's really hard when you have a group that big. And we kind of, I don't know what you want to say, like set a bad example or whatever, but we set the example of just stop and take a picture whenever you want, you know, and and anyway, so we had sometimes where we would have people stopping to take a picture and then literally like a couple hundred yards down the road, we would be stopping to set up a camera. Had we coordinated that a little bit better, it probably would have slowed us down less, but I do think we gave everyone the chance to really take in how stunning and beautiful this area is. I think the thing that's really important to me is I wanted people to just be blown away by how beautiful this area is because it's so contrasty. When you're right next to Goblin Valley, it's very like kind of red rockish, similar to like what you would see in Moab. And then the further you get towards Cathedral Valley, you go through this area that's just like completely barren. And so I really wanted people to kind of see the contrast. And so I think everyone saw it. They really were appreciating it. And so I think overall, the experience went well. Now we'll see, I guess I, I have wanted to try to do this again in the fall. And maybe when we propose another trip, if no one signs up, we'll know if they had a good time or not. <laughs> yeah. That'll, that, that's a good way to tell. So I, I think people liked it. Um, I don't know. It's hard to know, feel the responsibility kind of, and I'm a slacker, so I don't like too much responsibility, but I think it worked out. Okay. Everyone said they had a good time and that it's hard not to on a trip like that. Cause the views were just so amazing. Yeah, I, the only the only real concern that I had at the end was if people were like, I could have done that trip in half the time. And the reality is they could have. If you're just going to go and power through and just put down as many miles as you possibly can, I think you could do the entire trip that we did in half of the time. But that's not really how we do it. We like to take our time and explore and stop. And if we see something cool, we want to get out and go check it out. And so I don't really feel bad about that, but I do think that it, you know, I do think that that maybe is a little different than what some people were expecting. One thing that I didn't expect that we ended up doing that I actually enjoyed, but it did slow us down, is we did stop a lot for pictures. And sometimes we'd stop at a cool area and then we'd sit and chat with everyone for 10 minutes. It wasn't even like we were just taking pictures. And I like that because I was getting to know everybody and we were enjoying it together. But that definitely slowed us down too. Absolutely. I guess to kind of back up and set up the scene a little bit better. A couple of years ago, I've been going down to this area just outside Goblin Valley on what's called Behind the Reef Road to camp and hang out with the family and stuff. And as I was there, I thought, man, we're not that far from Cathedral Valley. I've always wanted to go. I wonder if there's a way that I can go off road um, to there. So I, after a trip with my family, I came home, was looking at maps, was able to see a route that we could do. And so Mike and I went back, he and I went with his oldest daughter, Kate, and we did a really cool trip. We had a blast. It was so beautiful. I had so much fun. I was like, man, I got to take my family. So last year I went back and took my whole family. We did the trip again. And that's a little bit uncommon. There's so much to explore here. I don't usually do the same trips over and over again, but there's a few that I like so much that I want to. And so this is one of those where I think I could do it once every year and never tire of it. And so it was really cool to do this 
and then be able to bring and invite some friends. So we basically planned out to meet up Thursday night just outside of um, Goblin Valley on Behind the Reef Trail, or Behind the Reef Road, excuse me, and camp there Thursday night and then take off early Friday morning. So a few people actually who had a little more time, they showed up early, went to a cool museum in Green River. Um, that's the I believe it's the John Powell Museum. So they went there and then met earlier in the evening Thursday night. I got in Thursday night just as basically everyone was going to bed except for Andrew. Andrew's a really cool guy. He um, he had actually been down because it was spring break. He works for a university nearby and he had been down in Moab doing a bunch of hiking and camping and so he actually came up from there and met and he and I had a really good opportunity to just sit around the fire and talk um, he has he's a wealth of knowledge about a lot of things, but I really enjoyed talking to him about trailers because that's something I've thought a lot about having an off-road trailer as my family is getting bigger. And so he and I really enjoyed that as we were waiting for Mike to show up. And then we had a little bit of time to kind of chit-chat in the evening before we went to bed. And I showed up late, like I often do. So it's it's hard for me to get out of the house sometimes. I think I showed up around 11 o'clock. I pretty much showed up. We talked for a little bit, and then we went to bed because we were beat and had a good day ahead of us. Yeah, I think one of the things that I was a little concerned about was just, like, timing. And I really appreciated that everyone – basically, I was like, we need to be ready to go 9 o'clock Friday morning. We need to be ready to pull out. And we didn't pull out right at 9. I really had said 9 because I was hoping, okay, if if I say 9, we can pull out at 9.30. The reality was we could have left right at 9 o'clock. We had a few people who were coming in early Friday morning, but they all arrived right at 9 o'clock, so we could have just left then. We had them jump out and kind of do some introductions and stuff, but I was really appreciative that everyone was up and at it and, you know, whatever it was they were doing for their breakfast, they were done and everything was cleaned up because it is hard when you have a big group like this because you don't really want to be – I don't want to be riding someone and being like, Hey, we got to go right now. You know? So it was, it was nice that everyone was just excited and rearing and ready to go. And not that nine's really that early, but I think that it gave everyone enough time that they had time to kind of prep in the morning. They weren't feeling rushed and were ready for a long day on the trail, which is what we gave them. Yeah, it was, it was a good, it was a good drive, especially since our pace was a little slower. We spent most of the day driving. I was actually a little surprised our first day talking about pace we actually were faster than I thought we would be. Um, faster than we were last time, I think. It was only the second day that I feel like we were really slow, but we actually made pretty good time. I think I'm the one who has the hardest time getting up in the morning. I think everyone else was, they could have probably gone earlier, but since we did at nine, that worked out for the people who came in early, early you know, and came at the Friday morning. It's kind of crazy to me. They drove, some of them, like, I think they left at like three in the morning to get there by nine and it was a long day for them so by the time we were done they were dead yeah when we got back to when we finally made it to camp friday night a bunch of people were like we're exhausted we're going to bed (laughs) it was really cool that everyone we had such a unique group of people which i thought was nice um, we had a good diversification of rigs that's something that's really important to me just because i'm i'm very much of the opinion that the best vehicle you have for adventure is the one in your driveway go grab it take it use it and eventually you may run into like hey i want to add this accessory or maybe you want to add a bunch of accessories and maybe you don't have the right rig for that and so you want to switch up but i think a lot of times people immediately go buy a new rig and 
Um, maybe they're a little premature on it because they don't even know exactly what they're going to need or want. One of our good friends, um, or I guess I should say one of our good uh, social media friends is Don from Soft Roading the West. And what I love about him is he's traveling all over the Pacific Northwest in his Subaru. And he goes on some crazy trails in his Subaru. And so I just, I think it really points out that you have anything. So we had, you know, everything from Lane had a really cool, built out, beautiful Toyota 4Runner. Um, it really about everything you could want. Nice lift on it, um, aftermarket front bumper, aftermarket rear bumper, um, a roof rack. It was really decked out, it was really beautifully built. Honestly, it was inspiring. It's like what I am. I imagine I want your forerunner to become someday. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that too. So we had everything from that to James and Misty, who were in a like mid two thousands Dodge Durango, completely stock. This trip is one, and it's one of the things I like about it that you can pretty much tackle it in almost any vehicle as long as you have a little bit of clearance. And you have the ability to go into four-wheel drive if there's a nasty, slippery section. If it's not slippery, you can be in two-wheel drive the whole time. So I wanted that because that's just one of the things I like about this trip because I, I think it's a good intro for people. They get a really good idea of some of the beauties in this area in southern Utah, but they're not really biting off more than they can chew. So once we hit the trail... Um, everything was really smooth going. Everyone, I think, was having a good time. We didn't run into any problems with any vehicles. Um, we had a couple of times where James kind of had to pick a good line because he just didn't have quite, mostly his tires were just a little too small. He didn't quite have big enough tires to give him enough clearance in a few areas. So, But really, no one was having a difficult time. And we even had some cool vintage rigs, uh, or a cool vintage rig. Um, Andrew has a beautiful it's it's like a it's like a 70s series land cruiser but it's it's like a bj 70 or 60 or something i don't know they don't it's an it's not even you can't even get them in the united states it's a right hand drive one that he has from japan it's really really cool um the whole time i was just kind of like fawning over it a little bit because it's just one it's one of those things where it's like it's something we don't have here so that obviously everyone likes what they can't have and it's just really cool to see, you know, from a brand new Forerunner to my fairly new Jeep to this, you know, 1970s rig, all having a wonderful adventure all together. Yeah, it, it was awesome. I, I would put in that, well, most rigs can do, I, I do think you need semi-decent clearance. Like, if you don't have over seven inches, then you may struggle. Um, you know, I wouldn't take a car on this trip, like... Yeah, I certainly wouldn't take a car, especially the first part of the trip. You're basically going down um, Little Wild Horse Canyon Wash, and none of it is technical at all. But there are some areas where you you, you would run into some you would run into some definite clearance issues, and if it was ever slick because it's been raining or anything like that, you could get yourself in trouble if you're not in a good four wheel drive with decent you know tires. So. I, I guess I don't want to underplay that. And also, additionally, there are two river crossings. Um, the, neither of them are very deep, but neither of them I would want to do in a car. So that, that is yeah. a good point. Like you could do it in a Subaru because they're pretty capable, but I wouldn't do it in a Camry. Once we made it to camp, basically the first the first day is all going from just outside um, Goblin Valley to just outside Cathedral Valley. So Cathedral Valley is actually part of Capitol Reef National Park. And 
you can't you can you can't just camp anywhere you want inside the national park. You have to camp in the designated campgrounds. Um, there's two inside of Capitol Reef. One of them is called the Cathedral Valley Campground, but it's actually on the other side of Cathedral Valley, so it's not super convenient. Additionally, most of the time, I'm a fan of just doing like whatever you want to call it, like wild camping or primitive camping. Um, I just like the idea of being out in BLM land and enjoying that as a resource and not necessarily having to worry about sometimes a lot of the designated campgrounds you're a little bit closer um, to other people sometimes you have to pay you know different things like that so we had found a nice place when I was going there last year with my wife um, a nice place that I thought would be perfect for a group our size or more and it was it's really kind of a pretty area you basically kind of pull in and you're in this little valley and you have these big they're not mountains they're more like rolling dirt hills that looks like rock but it's actually just like different compounds of dirt. And so you can actually see the different layers um, of like sediment that's happened over millions of years of settling and different things like that. So it's a really kind of a cool spot. So much so that I loved it. We were there, we were setting up camp and stuff and this uh, sprinter van pulls in, this adventure sprinter van pulls in and the guy jumps out and kind of comes walking up to us and he's like, oh, hey, you guys have a really beautiful spot. And maybe, I think he was just kind of throwing that out there to be like, this is really cool do you want to invite us to stay? You know, <laughs> but I, cause I just got a kick out of it. Cause like, Oh, this is such a beautiful spot. Well, he liked it so much. He just pitched camp right next to us. So there was plenty of room. It didn't bother me, but I just thought it was kind of funny that he just kind of set up camp right away and was going for it. But, um, but like you had mentioned, we did get in a lot earlier than I was anticipating. And I'm not really sure why. Um, I don't feel like we were making a very fast pace. Um, the only thing I can think is when you and I and Kate went and did the trip, we did look a little bit longer for a camp spot. And I'm thinking that actually took longer than I was remembering. And maybe that took an hour or so to find a different camp spot because I don't feel like the pace was any slower or faster than that day. And we got into camp at like three. Yeah, we got in a lot earlier. That may have been it looking for camp. We also went farther. We were a lot closer to Capitol Reef. And as I'm thinking about it, I think we actually, I think we drove around a little while looking for camps. I think we made it into the Capitol Reef and then backtracked maybe even right. to find a spot. So the spot that we camped is just off of the Cathedral um, Road loop. And so if you were jumping off of Highway 24, you can find this spot where we're at really easily. Um but it's, it's just a nice big open area. There was plenty of space for everyone. And I really am glad that we got in as early as we did because it did give us a lot of time to kind of chat and get to know each other, especially gave me a chance to talk to um, Brent and Travis, who they were two of the ones that had come in earlier in the morning on Friday morning. And so we didn't really get to know them the night before or even in the morning on Friday. And so it gave me a good chance to get to know them. And they're really cool. It's a it's a dad and his son, and um, and then the son had his sons with him, and they were both in some really cool rigs. So uh, Travis had a beautiful, I think it's a 2016. He said um, JKU, and really nicely built. He had some fun stories about how right after he got it, he said, "Hey, uh, you know, this is the Rubicon version of the Jeep, so I'm going to take it on the Rubicon Trail." So he went and took it on the Rubicon Trail, and. You can take a stock Jeep Rubicon on the Rubicon Trail. It is trail rated, but it, they need a little bit of they need a little bit of improvements and modifications to make that a lot more enjoyable. So, anyways, he's made some cool additions to his 
uh, Jeep since then. And then Brent, he has a, uh, well, it's the Lexus 470, but it, basically it's a Toyota Land Cruiser 100 series. And obviously there's some differences there. And it's really cool. It's an inspiring rig. Um, I liked it because I have a Toyota 100 series Land Cruiser and I will probably get another one someday um, for my family adventures and stuff. So it was cool to see his setup and how he has it. Basically, it's he, his is designed to be a very comfortable kind of daily driver, but also be capable enough to handle, you know, most trails that you want to take it on that aren't like your hardcore technical off-roading trails. It would be able to handle anything that you and I have done on any of our trips, no problem. So that it was cool to kind of see that set up and, and kind of gave me some ideas on things that I would like to do. So I did enjoy that we got into camp with enough time to kind of, I was able to kind of jump around and talk to different groups and make dinner. And it was nice to not be making dinner in the dark, which is what we're normally doing. Yeah. I like making dinner in the light. So it was, I think day one was perfect actually i like the pace i liked where we camped uh even the kids liked it they got up on the hit the rocky sandy hills and played around like crazy i was really bummed i couldn't bring my kids but with school um i just couldn't get them out at the time now it'd be fine so yeah i know the wrong week although then we couldn't have gone so (laughs) we would have been a group we would have been a group bigger than 10 for sure so but yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that I, I do think it would be good to do an entire episode kind of talking about doing this with your family and, and, and some of the things I think make it a little bit easier. Basically, after everyone cooked, we kind of all just congregated around the fire and just spent time getting to know each other. It was fun hearing some of the, everyone's stories about some of their favorite trips and, and different adventures that they'd been on. And um, several of the people who've met each other before Emmy and Jay were on our trip with us in the San Rafael swell that we did in the winter. And they had been talking about a different trip that they want to plan that they're planning on doing, I think next month sometime. And, uh, so it was just kind of cool to see everyone just having a good time getting to know each other. Um, like we'd mentioned, some people had gone to bed pretty early cause they'd had really long days on Friday, which gave us time to get everyone, get a lot of rest and wake up Saturday morning. Um, Saturday's agenda basically was to go from just outside of Cathedral Valley to drive into Cathedral Valley, which is like I mentioned, is part of Capitol Reef National Park, and visit Temple of the Moon, Temple of the Sun, Glass Mountain, and then a bunch of the other monoliths inside of Cathedral Valley. Part of my favorite part of this whole day of driving is actually that first few miles before you're like even into Cathedral Valley yet. It's really cool. It reminds me a lot of Moab, except for the rock, instead of being like a red rock, it's like a white sandstone. So it's actually shaped similarly because it's sandstone and you get a lot of the cool like hoodoos and other formations, but it's actually like this white color, which I think is really neat. So that's actually one of my favorite parts of the trail and then you basically eventually lead right into where it starts turning more back into your red rock and red sand, pulling into Temple of the Moon, Temple of the Sun, and Glass Mountain. So why don't you tell us about those? They're big piles of dirt. It's crazy. They're, I don't remember what they're made out of, gypsum or something maybe, or that's part of it, but uh, erosion's taken its course, and for whatever reason, there's just these huge pillars these huge i don't know mounds monoliths i don't know what you want to call them but they're just basically a giant pile of dirt is what it looks like but that doesn't give it any justice um 
they're ginormous. You you think, well, if erosion's been working on them, then why are they still there? But they're still there, and they're huge, and it's just amazing. You kind of come around the corner, and all of a sudden there's a huge rock in the middle of the valley. And there's other monoliths along the way, but those two are definitely some of the biggest ones. And the, the cool thing about them is you get to drive right up next to them and see them up close. So it's kind of it's, it's hard to describe, I guess, what they look like. And you can see pictures, but pictures don't really do them justice. They're just giant sand monoliths. It's almost like, you know, you think of like the hoodoos and stuff or like rocks and stuff that are like piled on each other. Those are crazy. And this is almost just like a, a much bigger version. You yeah. think, how is it, how does it still there without, you know, what, what weird erosion and tectonic action made it so these things, these giant piles are there, but nothing else is around them kind of. Absolutely. Yeah. I think my understanding is that they actually, one of the reasons that they haven't eroded away as much as everything else is they have like a rock cap on the top of them basically. And so um, when the rain and stuff comes down and hits it, they don't erode the same because it funnels off. And so I, I definitely am not a geologist, so you definitely want to look into it. But like Mike had mentioned, they're just they're It's, it's really hard to explain what they look. They are so stunning. You're basically driving into a valley and you have a mountain that goes straight up, almost like a castle in that it's not like it builds like, you know, mountains usually build like there's a hill and they slowly go. It's like sheer straight up and uh it's super tall i'm not exactly sure how tall they are but they got to be a couple hundred feet and they're just almost like these tall mountain islands out in the middle of these valleys so and it's really unique that the three things are all right next to each other so um glass mountain is basically like a gypsum deposit basically a bunch of rock has been compressed super hard and it turns it into this gypsum stone and it just looks like a mountain of glass it's not like huge it's more of like a mound Um, it's funny that it's called the mountain and it's like i don't know 10 feet tall or 15 feet tall or something right and and but right as you're looking at it right behind it you can see temple of the sun and temple of the moon and they're these two huge, massive monoliths. And so they're really cool. And like Mike had mentioned, what makes them so unique is because there's monoliths all over, all over in Cathedral Valley. But these two you can drive right next to, which is one of my favorite things about them. And, and I really had Cathedral, Capitol Reef National Park is kind of a little bit of a hidden gem in Utah. And it's because Cathedral Valley is remote and and basically like a lot of the basically the national parks in utah are really really busy because they're so accessible like you can you can pull up in zion national park and park in the parking lot and you can walk like 20 feet and see some of the most magnificent views that you've ever been able to see before and so because of that they get really busy and it's okay i'm fine with that i'm I'm glad that people are out enjoying the outdoors same with arches like you literally can pull up and like double arch is like maybe a 150 yard walk from the parking lot to seeing double arch. And so Cathedral Valley, which is part of Capitol Reef, is really remote. I've been there multiple times where there's not even another vehicle. We were all there. There was one other Jeep there at the same time as us. And they were basically pulling out as we were pulling in. And we basically had the whole place to ourselves. And we stopped and had um, 
hung out there and spent time taking pictures and really had it all to ourselves. And it's so unique that you can drive right up next to it. And there's even more monoliths that I wish we could drive up next to. That To me, it, it's kind of a I don't want to say that it's a waste, but I'm very much about accessibility and having as many trails as possible. And so there was a few that I was really bummed that we couldn't just drive up even closer to go and get a good look at them um, because you're basically just driving across either rock or sand to get up to them. And But we had a good time basically checking those out. Everyone was taking a lot of pictures. And from there, we start making our way out of kind of your traditional cathedral valley type spot basically past temple of the moon temple of the sun and there's a bunch of other really cool monoliths and one of the things that was really cool is we'd actually stopped i wasn't planning on going and seeing the gypsum sinkhole but as we were looking at it, we're like well it's like a mile down this road we should go and check out the gypsum sinkhole man am i so glad that we did the first reason i'm really glad is Sinkholes are actually really, really cool phenomena. Basically, you have water going underneath the ground, and it's basically like slowly eroding it down, which I think is just like really cool. But second of all, the last sinkhole we looked at on our San Rafael swell trip, there's like this sign that's like, hey, check out this sinkhole. And you walk up to it, and there's a fence. And the fence is literally like, I don't know, what would you say, eight or nine feet from the edge? nine feet from the edge and the sinkhole is only 20 feet across which means you can only see like two feet deep into the sinkhole below the the lip it was the most disappointing sinkhole ever yeah so unless you're gonna like jump over the fence which obviously they have a fence there for a reason they don't want you doing that you literally cannot even look (laughs) into the sinkhole and so it was just so funny because we'd stopped in this other trip and we're like well this is kind of a dud so when we were talking about whether we should go check this out or not we're like i don't know but you and i had had not seen it even though i've been here a couple of times i was like well it's a mile down the road let's go look at it and this sinkhole is massive it's it. I don't know exactly where they're counting the 200 feet deep. That's what they say on the brochure. It's certainly where you're at the edge looking down. It is not 200 feet deep, but it is deep. And so, and it's really big and wide. And so it was really cool. You can get up right next to the edge. You can look down into it. Um, it's very deep, very big. You can see where it's being undercut on each side, which I thought was really cool. A little bit makes you a little nervous too as you're like eh, wouldn't want any you know uh earthquake action right here but yeah it's definitely wider in the bottom than it is in the top which yeah is, which you couldn't see there's no way you'd be able to know that if you couldn't get right up to the edge and look down and see oh it's cutting way in on the edges but yeah it was creepy absolutely and so i was really surprised that one i was really really surprised that they allowed you to get that close to it which i'm glad that they do it was cool um, it was definitely worth the stop, and it was a million times better than the sinkhole that we had stopped and looked at in the San Rafael Swell. Our pace was so slow that we actually, when I was looking at the map, there was a little section that we can bypass, and I'm a little disappointed that we did only because you actually drive by another really cool monolith, but we just we were running out of time. We were actually planning on going all the way to the Burr Trail switchbacks and then into Boulder, and then kind of people were going to split from there. That was never going to happen. We'd already given up on that plan by this time. So we just want to be able to get across the Fremont River, crossing the light, not have any troubles there. So switchbacks well, good. going up out of Cathedral Valley are actually really, really cool. Yeah, I really like those switchbacks. And it was actually good that we skipped the – the extra little rung or a bit of trail we were planning on doing because that's the reason we've never gone to the gypsum sinkhole 
is because we've never even seen the sign because the sign was on the shortcut trail we went on. Right. Yeah, that, that is, that's a really good point. So, and admittedly, like a lot of people like, oh, I want to do the Burr Trail switchbacks. Don't get me wrong. The Burr Trail switchbacks are really cool. They are really beautiful because they're quite tight. So you, you're, you're basically, you have like a face of a mountain and you're basically climbing up the face similar to like the Schaefer switchbacks. But they're very tame. They're quite wide. They're very well groomed. They're meant to be able to, even though they're not pavement, they are meant to be able to be driven in a car. And so to me, the Cathedral Valley switchbacks are actually more fun to drive because it's fairly steep. It's quite rocky. Um, this was early spring. So we had a few sections that where it was a little bit snowy, muddy and wet, which didn't really make it any more scary or anything, but just made it a little bit more fun. And so I, even though I know a few of the people that were coming on the trip with us, were really looking forward to doing the bird trail switchbacks. In my opinion, these switchbacks are better. What do you think? I think so too. They, you know, they're not super hard either. Like you, you could do them in nice weather. You could do them in a car too, but it's totally different experience. The other one's totally graded flat as pavement, even though it's not. And these were, like you said, rocky and snowy. And and they have a great view too. The I actually, in some ways, I like driving up to them more than looking down from them. Because when you're driving up to them, you can, you're watching it transition from the red rock and the sandstone into the mountains and when we went especially there was tons of snow up there and it it was a lot higher than i actually remembered i think when we finally got to the campground it was like seven thousand feet Mm -hmm. and and we'd gone way up yeah It, it is a really cool transition because you basically you have the boulder mountain range right there and so you still have to go a little bit further before you're in quote unquote into the boulders but you're basically you're driving from desert to mountain like, and that's one of the things that's so cool about Utah is you can do that in multiple places. There's a place in Skyline Drive where, I don't know where Skyline Drive at some point, I think is at like 10,000 feet. And then within like 15 minutes, you can be dropped down into Huntington, Utah and be uh, basically going into the San Rafael Swell. So you can be in the highest of the mountains and then into Red Rock Desert, which is a really unique aspect of it. So we made our way up the switchbacks and we made a quick stop at the Cathedral Valley campground. And basically we wanted to eat lunch here. There's a pit toilet there so everyone can use the restroom if they would like. And it's just kind of a nice relaxing place to pull off. There was no one else there. Every time I've stopped, there's either been no one or one vehicle. There's never been hardly any more than that. There is another um, primitive campsite inside of Capitol Reef National Park, like I mentioned, and it's right off of the Nottom bull road which is what leads you into um basically you're going along the spine of the water pocket fold of capital reef national park which is really beautiful but because it's so much more frequented and it leads you up to go up the burr trail every time i've driven by it it is almost always full so that's just one thing to be aware of if you wanted to go now these are not close to each other they're probably like an hour and a half of driving off road in between each other but if you're just looking for a place and you want to go where there's a pit toilet the Cathedral Valley Campground is a cool option, and really close to it, you have some of the most beautiful views of looking out over Cathedral Valley. You have the North Valley Overlook, 
and then you also have I don't it's not named but you're basically you look over the switchbacks that you just drove up and you can see all of these beautiful monoliths that as you're driving past you you see them and they're amazing and then all of a sudden you get above them and you're like wow this is even better from here yeah one of my favorite things to see from that view specifically as you look out and you see this cliff face that we were driving along for a long time and once you're kind of a, at a different angle above it you realize the cliff face you're looking at those cliffs are like they're not cliffs they're they're skinny monoliths they're only like you know they're like 200 feet tall and it's this long it's a wall they're like you know 15 feet wide at most kind of a deal but they're super long and so when you're driving next to them you just think oh there's that's a plateau up there but it's not a plateau it's just a a skinny gate natural gate kind of a deal it's it's really cool looking yeah they look they totally do they look like they're a mountain so you look like oh that's the edge and then all of a sudden you get to the side view of it and you're like that mountain is as thin as a piece of paper you know when you're looking from that far away you're like this is crazy it's it's really unique one of the things i really want to do is there's two hikes actually down inside a cathedral valley before you um, do the climbs up the switchbacks that I've never done, but I see the trail for it. And every time I see it, I'm like, I want to go do that hike. So I think one of these times I'm going to go back, I'm going to stay at the Cathedral Valley campground, drive down, do the hikes, and then drive back up and then camp. And to basically get, it basically takes you up to the top one of these monoliths inside the valley so that you can look out over some of the other things. So I think that that would be a, a really fun way to do it. After lunch, um, basically we kind of were like, all right, we need to put some miles underneath us. We made pretty good pace. We did stop at the South Valley overlook. And to me, this is the area that needs a road so bad. There's clearly what looks like a service road. I don't think it's ever been open to the public. I think it's always been like national park only, but it hasn't been maintained in years, but you can see where they had a fence and they had a road that would lead you down into this South Valley because there is the biggest most beautiful monolith way out in the distance and you basically just have a bunch of desert right out in front of it there's no reason they couldn't have a road that takes you down and where you could drive up right next to this monolith and it would make that experience even that much better so it like it, while it's so beautiful and amazing the whole time i'm looking at it thinking i just wish you could drive down there and get even closer to it because i don't know how big it is it's so hard to tell when it's that far away because it's probably like a mile or two away but you can tell this thing is massive. It's like Temple of the Moon, Temple of the Sun times like two or three. You know, it's so huge. Yeah, I, I'm i totally in agreement with you. It would be awesome to be able to go down there. I think you can actually, uh, it looked like this, like a horse trail. So people take their horses down there. And I guess that means you could probably hike it too. Um, but it would be cool since there is kind of an existing road it would be awesome if you could drive out there i just love accessibility for people getting people more people to more places you know i mean we're we're young we could hike it but a lot of people a lot of people in our group wouldn't have wanted to hike it oh and couldn't have probably you know right. that's the thing is, is that's my thing with this everyone's like oh well you know you can hike in and still have access and to me that's so limiting in a lot of ways one they, I spend a lot of time outdoors with my kids. They go on lots of adventures with me. They still, anything over like a mile, it's like pulling teeth because I can get them there, but then I got to basically carry them back, you know? And so, you know, like my five-year-old, he's barely turned five. 
he'll go and he'll once we get the mile he's like okay this is going good and then all of a sudden wait we got to go back now he's done he's exhausted so then i'm throwing him up on my back then you have people that actually have real disabilities whether it's you know um, like veterans who've been injured or people who just were born with a disability where I feel like it's so limiting to say like, oh, these people can hike out there, but this person can't drive their Jeep out there. And I get that we want to like protect land and we need to make sure that people are using it properly. But I always look at it in two ways. One, this is public land. It should be available to multiple user groups. Um, On top of it being available to multiple user groups, the more trails you have, the less beat up the existing trails get. And that's one of the problems that you have when they do trail restrictions and closures is they say, hey, we want to we want to tighten this up because it's being used improperly. And to me, then all of a sudden now you just have more people in a smaller area. So even if they're not using it improperly, they're actually causing more damage to it because they can't spread out. And so I think if you have more trails, it allows people to spread themselves out even further, which puts less impact on it. The way that you eliminate abuse of trails is through education anyways like you're never going to change it by other things you you have to educate people people who aren't going to obey the rules aren't going to obey the rules and the people who don't know the rules just need to be educated on it so to me that's how you solve that problem but anyways we can cover that in a different podcast but to me it was just so beautiful but the whole time i couldn't help but think man if we could just wind down that canyon do a couple switchbacks and then drive out to that monolith it would just be that much better of an experience um from there we basically just really started to put miles underneath us we made a quick stop at some really cool this really cool old crane is what i think it was but basically it's just some of those old desert relic trucks that you know probably broke down at some point in time and just left and now it's a a part of the landscape and so we stopped took some pictures of it took a group picture there and then started making our way over to the Fremont River. The Fremont River crossing is fairly easy. Um, it is a good idea to check water levels just to make sure that, um, especially during spring, that the runoff isn't abnormally high. Or if it's like snowed and then the next day is like 60, which can happen definitely in the spring, that can um make the water higher but for the most part this is a river that if you're in an suv you can ford at pretty much any point in time a lot of water crossings you're crossing perpendicular to the river and so you just go in and out but this one you actually the trail you have to drive up the river or down the river depending on the direction you're going the direction we were going we had to drive up river for a little ways to get back on the road that's actually how the road goes and so it's just i don't know why but i love driving through water crossings i find them super exciting even though it's not like we're like bahaing it through a million miles an hour you know we took it pretty easy but just water crossings are fun and long water crossings are even more fun and it has a really solid base so i think it's pretty pretty safe like you said yeah, there's really, you know, I always encourage people like you should probably walk it, um, just any water crossing that you're doing. Um, so just as a disclaimer, you want to make sure that you're being safe, but it does have a very solid base. In fact, we crossed the Muddy Creek River the day before. It, the Muddy Creek River is called the Muddy Creek River for a reason. It has a much more soft base. Um, there have been individuals who followed our exact same tracks who've gotten stuck crossing it, um, even though it's like way less deep. So I think that that's something that 
um, people should be aware of. Whereas the the Fremont River is a lot deeper. Now it's not like it's not coming up on your hood. You don't need a snorkel or anything like that. Um, but it's a very solid base. You can just cruise right through it. And I totally agree. Being able to drive where you're driving up or down the river uh, to make that crossing just makes it that much more fun. We got some really cool footage of all of the rigs going across. And, and that was one of my favorite parts of it, it being able to see. It was really cool, actually, James and Misty. You can kind of see if you're watching the video, you can see she's filming it as they're crossing. And you can just see how excited they are going through that crossing because I know when we had planned the trip in the forum, he was talking about it and be like, can I do this in my stock you know, Dodge Durango. And we're like, yeah, you can do it. And, and he was a little bit hesitant to, um, make that trip. Um, and at the end, I think they were really, really glad that they came and had a really good experience. And, and to me, it just really reinforced my belief that going what you have, and eventually you're probably going to run into some limitations and you may want to make some changes or do choose a different vehicle, um, that maybe is a platform where there's more aftermarket accessories or something, but to me, that should be secondary to go on an adventure, enjoy the adventure, and then make adaptions from there. One of the things that I think a lot of us do, and I can get in, you know, I'm as guilty of this as anyone else, is thinking about, okay, here's the next thing I want to add. Here's the next thing I want to add. And I, I want to make sure that I'm spending more money on trips than I am on accessories and that I am more focused on the adventure than I am on the gear. And I think that as people do that, it basically, one, they're going to have more disposable income to go on more adventures. I think you'd be way better off um, having a way less capable rig, but be able to go more because you're not tied down to work to make sure that you can make a heavy payment. And I think it's important that you're getting a good idea of the capabilities of your vehicle, your driving capabilities, and then you can kind of make adaptions from there to say like, yeah, like this would have been a lot easier if I had some better tires perfect example of that for james he was i think everything he had was fine the only thing i would encourage him to do is at some point in time he needs to upgrade his tires because he's running very stock street tires and i was admittedly i was the only worry i had was that we were going to run into flats we didn't run into any with him but the you know those kind of more just street style tires are more prone to getting you know sidewall punctures and things like that and so but if he had a good all-terrain on there, like your BF Goodrich tires, he's going to be able to do anything that you and I do, basically. And without, you know, without much work, you know. Yeah, we, the one thing I've noticed as, as we've done these trips is there's been a few times where I wussed out some of them were, I think we could do this, but it's going to, we're going to have to pick our lines so nice to not scratch me up that it's going to take forever. And some of them we've have run into just like really hardcore off roading, and I'm just like, I have a pretty new vehicle. I'm not doing that, you know. But that's actually been really rare. It's amazed me how many times. There's so many amazing trips you can go on. With, you know, I have a pretty capable rig, but it's still just a stock forerunner basically, and we've done all these trips. And so I don't want to, you know, if people like modding for a hobby or whatever, awesome, you go for it. But don't think I can't go on a trip because I don't have a heavily modded vehicle because what we've done is gone on a ton of trips and of all the trips we've been on maybe two or three we said you know what we can't go down this specific road but you know what we did 
we looked on the map and found another road and continued and still had an awesome trip. And if we'd have just said, oh, well, we can't go on 2% of this trip, so we're just not going to go at all, or we're going to have to wait until we've spent $50,000 giving ourselves insane mods, then we never would have gone on these trips. And we have awesome, they've been awesome experiences. This one specifically, super awesome trip. This is a trip you can do on a most, as long as you have something with a little bit of clearance, you can do this trip. And I'd recommend four-wheel drive too, or all-wheel drive. But yeah, you can do this trip, and it's beautiful and amazing. And the other cool thing is, let's say you don't have four-wheel drive or two-wheel drive. Guess what? You know, if you don't have four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive, you can still do parts of this trip. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, um, to me, one of the reasons that I wanted to name the channel Backroad Exploration is because that's what it really is. It's Backroad Exploration. And sometimes that's paved back roads. Most of the time what we're filming and recording is dirt um, back roads. But it isn't necessarily this. It's not a rock crawling channel. Um, depending, I consider it way more overlanding. I know some people are purists and think that the only overlanding is if you're doing, you know, week long or month long or year long trips crossing international borders. I don't really care. Call it whatever you want. To me, we're traveling thousands of miles a year off road, but like you said, we're really not that limited um, in the trails that we can do. Every once in a while, we'll run into something where we're like, maybe this one isn't worth it, and maybe we're going to come back and do it another time. But there's so much that you can go out there and explore and check out um, without having a super modded vehicle. That to me, that's where I would just start going. And eventually, you're going to start running into limitations. And as you run into those limitations, then you're going to want to build from there. And I get that. For everyone, that's a little bit different. If you live in an area where there's not very much public land and it's mostly like off-road parks and stuff, then um, even those, like they're going to have blue and green trails anyways. But uh, sometimes you're going to need a little bit more capability to have as much fun in, in like an off-road park um, versus when we're out in this beautiful public land that we're blessed to have. You have so much you can do. And often if there's like, yeah, we know if we want to do that trail, we can go do another one and, and not even think about it. So anyways, I think that that kind of wraps it up pretty good. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, we're going to try to be putting out regular podcasts talking about exploring the back roads in Utah. Um, please make sure to hit that subscribe button so that you can catch all of our episodes. Thanks so much for listening.